Hey everyone, welcome to the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to increase connectedness amongst Team Fairchild members. Every episode, you'll be hearing from different people around the base discussing topics such as leadership, success, failure, personnel programs, resiliency, and much, much more. We hope you enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to the next episode of Refuel Team Fairchild. Today we're sitting down with uh, Chief Master Sergeant Ruckert, who is the Ops Group Superintendent, officially, but for the last couple of months, you've been filling in as the Command Chief for the for the wing, waiting for uh, the next the next Command Chief to come in. So, Chief, how's it going? Going well. Uh, it's been exciting being able to sit up, uh, up here at the wing for the last couple of months, trying to figure out what's going on. Right? Is, is it uh, is it different from what you thought it was going to be? Uh, I wouldn't say it's different. I would say that the first, just like any new job, right? You roll into it. You're probably not prepared. I didn't feel like I was prepared for it. Mm-hmm. I probably wasn't prepared, to be honest with you. So a lot of stress in the initial uh, few weeks of figuring it out. But once you figure it out, um, none of these things are really that difficult. You just got to figure out uh, what lane you need to be in and how to address them appropriately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wouldn't say it's any harder than any other job I ever did. Um, but it's definitely been a little bit of a learning curve because I'm not used to touching on some of these subjects. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, I was just curious if, uh, you know, especially coming from the ops group and then you're dealing with probably a lot of other issues that you had never encountered before. Maybe if it'd be a little, but it sounds like you, you picked it up and ran with it. So I, I will say um, probably some of the biggest learning stuff though in coming up here was, you know, having been an aviator my entire career is what's really happened is I interact with all the groups, but I don't get to understand all the groups. Right. Right. You know, um, everybody's got ideas on why doesn't group A, B or C do it this way. Um, but the reality of it really is that unless you understand more of the inner workings of them, um, all the decisions they're making are right on cue with what I would make if I was sitting there and had the information they have. Yeah. Um, so that's been probably the most exciting thing about sitting up here is, is truly getting to understand what the other groups do and some of the, uh, the limb facts and the challenges they have and mm-hmm. getting to where a, a normal person would think, why don't we just do this? Uh, a lot of these things are just not that easy. And once you right. understand all the information, you're like, oh. I get it. Yeah. Track yeah. It. Uh, that's one of the things I've picked up from being the career advisor is, yeah, you, you learn things about all the different units that you didn't know. Um, you know, I've learned things about the maintenance folks that I had preconceived notions my entire career, but then when you get down there and talk to them, those are just not not accurate. And then it's funny you say that, like being in CE, we, we used to hear all the time, why can't you guys just fix this? And we're like, well, we would love to, but that's not how that works. <laughs> right. so, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, awesome. Um, glad you got to experience it. Now, did I hear right that you – are on the command chief's list, right, to be looked at for a command chief position. Absolutely, yep, I sure am. Uh, this Congratulations. Is my, thank you. This is my first uh, chance being pushed, uh, so pretty excited about it. I didn't know how it would work out, but I was fortunate enough to make it on the list, so pretty exciting about what the future holds. Um, I think I have some things that I can bring to the table mm-hmm. to about any organization, so I'm excited to see uh, how interviews and stuff work out, and if I have the opportunity to uh, perform in this capacity, I definitely love the opportunity. Awesome. Is there any particular place you'd want to go? Yes, but I'm probably not going to tell you what they are now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. I, I do have a couple of them. I actually owe uh, my preferences back to AMC here on the 18th, so I'll be sending up an email. But I'm doing a little bit of a little bit of recon at the moment, gotcha. making some phone calls and stuff. Okay, awesome. All right, well, um, well, actually, we probably should have maybe started off with this, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to this point in your life? So I'll be honest with you. Um, I was born and raised in North Dakota, so just a, a small town kid. Um, had uh, the year I graduated was in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, 
kindergarten through 12th grade in my school in my school was 93 students oh wow so really really tiny in yeah. my senior class uh 10 students six girls four boys wow uh, so very very tiny um grew up doing a bunch of manual labor stuff like all farm kids do right i mm -hmm. mean pretty much mowing three acres with a push mower when i was little <laughs> you know all that type of stuff but um grew up with with quite a bit of discipline really okay um, and i think that's really what's carried me you know i i I kind of say it in jest, but, a, you know, a dumb kid from North Dakota, you know, who didn't have the big world experiences, mm -hmm. um, I think is what's really brought me along was, um, you know, something that was given to me on the farm was the ability and the drive to just work hard, right? And I do all the things that nobody else would do. I think there's yeah. a quote out there that pretty much says that something along the lines of, you know, do the things that nobody else will do and you will have the things nobody else has. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of how I viewed my career and how I ended up here. You know, went in the Air Force uh, right after basic or after I graduated high school, about three and a half, four weeks afterward. Um, I just didn't, I felt like I had more in me than there was to do at home on the farm. Not that that's a bad life. I mean, everybody's got to eat, right? So yeah. somebody's got to do that stuff. And uh, and it's very important, but I just felt like there, there was something more. I wanted more. Yeah. Um, so that's when, and I always wanted to fly. Um, didn't have any money to go to college or anything, so I found mm -hmm. myself, uh, the closest thing I could do was be a boom operator. Hey, um, hey. So I signed up and did yeah. um, it. Spent a couple years in Grand Forks and stuff. Um, and that was one of those things I remember showing up in my squadron. Uh, at 725, I'd be standing outside the 905th Area Fueling Squadron, and the door is literally locked. Like, you can't get into the building, building 607, I'll never forget it. Um, but standing out there, and then our, our CSS would show up, Still remember Tech Sergeant Redburn was his name, um, and he'd be like, "What are you doing here? Uh, work started like five minutes ago, you know." And he's like, "Yeah, but nobody comes in until nine, and that was just the sign of the times, right? I mean, we're talking twenty years ago, pre nine eleven, pre enduring freedom, all of that stuff, um, and that's literally what people would do. And for the, I went through all my mission certification training, and and people were, really, I mean. If you were at home, they wanted you to be with your family because something could happen at any point. Right. And then you were even gone from your family, which September 11th happened shortly afterward. But mm -hmm. um, even then, I remember my first supervisor. Um, I remember walking around the squadron for two weeks, um, and I was just bored because I'd been used to this point in my life always being busy. I didn't really have a much of a childhood, I would say. Mm -hmm. I was more like a young adult um, all yeah. of my teenage years of just working and stuff. Um, so I really found myself walking around because I didn't have an office job at that time. I don't even think everybody had computers at that time, um, unless you had an actual job, but just grabbing a vacuum and vacuuming or grabbing a, uh, a trash bag and walking around and say, Hey, you got trash and you know, just for something to do. And it mm -hmm. took me about two weeks and I went to my supervisor and I'm like, sir, you got to give me a job. <laughs> and he was like, are you serious? And I said, yeah, I need something to do. I need, need to know that my worth is going somewhere. Right? Yeah. I didn't come here to sit and do part time. I come here to learn a skill and, and, uh, you know, work. Um, so about two days later, I remember coming to me, hey, you want to be a ground scheduler? And and that's not like the flashiest job in the squadron by no means. But I was all on board with it. And it wasn't long after that, I was doing flight scheduling. And then it just kind of ballooned from there. And, and, uh, and my first squadron commander um, took me in one time and wanted to send me OTS and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I kind of couldn't be married, but I had a serious girlfriend. Now my wife, so good choice on my part. Yeah. Can't go to the academy, or he wanted to send me to the academy, and he's like, "Can't be married, go to the academy." So I was like, "Nope." <laughs> um, so it worked out. I made the right choice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, really, I would just say hard work. Every job I had, just trying to knuckle down and, and do all the things that nobody else really wanted to do, just because yeah. they needed to be done. I was work, 
used to doing that stuff just because it's got to be done. Somebody's got to do it, so it might as well be me. Yeah, that that's interesting uh, because so were either of your parents ever military? Or they just no. farmers. Nope. So I grew up on a farm as well. My dad was in our military, but farm life it does discipline you because I mean you're up at four o'clock in the morning, right. milking cows and doing whatever else on the weekends. We didn't we used to, we didn't sleep in. We were up at seven o'clock. Working, working, working all day long. So when I came in the military, same thing. It wasn't odd for me to be getting up early and working through weekends and doing all these things because it was just kind of normal. So interesting. Yeah, I remember uh, being like, we didn't really have any farmland, but, you know, my sister had, we had like three dogs, a couple cats across the street in the barn. Um, I think she had like 10, 15 rabbits at a time. She had a pot belly pig. Uh, we had like 50 chicken, 50 turkeys and 100 chickens. Mm-hmm. But I remember the snow would come in. And no lie, the snow was so deep in 97-ish or so um, that the chicken coop was gone. Like, you couldn't see it. So I had to put a pole down mm-hmm. to figure out where the edge was, dig like eight feet down. I'm carrying five-gallon pails of water over the snow banks so I could give them water. Yeah. And then, you know, I would get up about 5 o'clock, do that. Then my dad would get um, brother and sister up, do all that good stuff. And then I'd come in, hop in a shower, and head off to... Head off to school. Yeah. And then when, you know, the next morning the, the snow had blown the hole back in and I had yeah. done for the chicken coop and yeah. back down to go shoveling for all for a few chickens. Oh, yeah. That wintertime. I remember one day I used to have to stack wood after school. And, I mean, I, I piled wood as high as I could get it thinking, oh, this will last for the whole week. And then the next day it was all gone on earth. Yeah. Just again. So, so yeah. That, so, interesting. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I guess the farm life would instill a lot of discipline. I never really looked at it that way before, I guess. Um so uh, take us through your career a little bit. How did you get to this? How did you get to this point? Uh, so like I said, I uh, came in as a boom operator, uh, first base at Grand Force Air Force Base. Actually, I uh, I remember putting on my dream sheet one through eight, uh, being from North Dakota and stuff. I like outdoors, I like farming, I like or uh, hunting and, and cool weather and stuff. Uh, so it was what happened. I said, send me to Mountain Home because they had tankers at the time. Send me to Fairchild. Um, and I think the last base I put on there was North Dakota because I wasn't joining to stay at home. Um, little did I know when I put those choices down, Mountain Home was losing tankers like uh. the same year I came in, so that was disappearing. Okay. Um, and McConnell and Grand Force were screaming for people. They were the two super tanker wings. I think McConnell had five squadrons at the time. Grand Force had four. Oh. Um, so then I actually had orders to um, – number eight on my list was do not send me to Grand Force. I'm from there. Um, so this is what happened. Our assignments came out, and I'm going to Milton, or uh, McConnell. Mm-hmm. I'm in Milton McConnell, I'm thinking, man, if I'm going to be in the Plains, I might as well be at home. And two people in my class also, uh, they were best friends all the way through basic training and tech school. Uh, they were separated, one going to Grand Forge, one to McConnell, and I said, you just want to switch. Mm-hmm. So we swapped. I went to Grand Forge, which is that's where I met my wife when I was doing recruit assistance up there. Like I said, it all okay, works out. All right. Um, so it, it worked out uh, uh, very well. We did four years there. Um, and then did a basic preference to come over here to Fairchild. Mm. Um, found myself in the 93rd Air Fitness Squadron doing stand-up out work as a young staff sergeant. Um, then uh, about 2000, got here in 2005 and 2007, um, Master Bennett, I'll never forget his name, was the chief of uh, OST, doing air crew training over there. Um, was retiring, and they were looking for a new replacement. So he had a conversation with the group chief, Chief McMullen, and said, uh, who do you want to replace you? And and he would only throw my name out. And So I remember sitting down there and Chief McMullen called from the group and said, uh, hey, I asked Sergeant Bennett who to replace him. And he said, you. And I said, thanks, sir, but I don't know Mass Sergeant Bennett. Never met the guy. <laughs> uh, so I don't know how he's got my name. And he said, well, I'll give you a choice. If you want to go there, um, I'll let you. If you don't want to, that's fine. But the next guy does or gal doesn't get a, 
get a choice. And I said, okay, chief. And I had flown some uh, multi-point refueling system flights with him and stuff doing mm-hmm. training because he was a prior uh, AC-130 guy. The chief was? The chief okay. was. So we had had quite a bit of one-on-one. So he knew my capability. I just didn't happen to know Master Bennett or why he was recommending me. Did you um, ever find out why he was recommending you? I think just from hearsay and, okay. you know, probably, you know, like I said, growing up in teenage years, not having much of a teenage years, more of a very young adult. Yeah. You know, it was more adultish than it was um, a young kid, I would say. Um, probably in just the way I carried myself and how dedicated I was to my work and stuff like that, probably where it had gotten out as my guess. Yeah. Um, well, that's a good lesson. Probably, I'm sure you maybe picked it up before, but people are watching. You don't even realize they're watching. People are watching it. <laughs> Good or bad, so no, you're absolutely yeah. right. Um, so and I said, "Well, hey, chief, when do you need to know?" And he's like, uh, "Can you let me know on Monday?" And it's like a Wednesday. And I said, "Sure." So I, uh, my wife was pregnant with our first son, um, and so I went back and talked to her. And today, you know, it does keep me out of deployment for a little bit, which would be nice to have a little bit of stability on our first one out here with no family, mm-hmm. any of that stuff to help us uh, raise our first one. Um, so what do you think? I said, I'm going to be busy. I'm growing into a master of staff. No mind for tech or anything, you know? Wow. Um, and she's like, yeah. So I went over there and apparently did okay. Um, picked up a uh, tech sergeant out of there and then um, had orders to Hickam. And I was supposed to head out there. My, it canceled on deployment. Ah. So I was super frustrated. <laughs> but I did get to work on a satellite phone <laughs> oh, okay. from, uh, from the deployed location with APC. And uh it's not a great conversation when you get to tell your wife that you were going to Hawaii with, that you're now going to Altus, Oklahoma. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not a good conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but it worked out. Went down to the schoolhouse, uh, top for four years down there. Probably the most, one of the most uh, top two rewarding jobs I've ever done, to tell you the truth, just because there's, there's strong NCOs from all the tanker bases, and I grew more there. I was a very good aviator heading down there, but I probably... I, I didn't have the skills I needed to be a solid NCO and supervisor and leader okay. because I'd found myself in stand about one deep position, supervising nobody, running programs. Right. Um, and that was able to bring me out um, and give me some of the experiences that I probably needed. Um, and for the first time ever, I had a chief in the squadron because uh, KC-135 squadrons don't have chiefs. They only got senior master and just the superintendent. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first time ever, I got a chief that I could interact with me who was fantastic. Was, that was the chief. So the chief was a, a boom operator. Yeah, okay. he was. Um, Got to be probably a few of those around. Yeah, well, there, there's only nine of the, nine positions in the entire Air Force, oh, wow. um, and two of them now, KC-46 and a 135, two of them are down at Alphys. Mm. Um, but yeah, so for and so I show up there, I'm really young, and within three months I have a master of strength. You know? <laughs> so at this point I'm, I'm in the Air Force a little over eight, eight years, I think. Was that a step promotion or? No. Okay. No, just, <laughs> just made it. Just testing. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, and like I said, so I was just knuckling down, doing my thing, and, and that's where like kind of the, the mentorship and stuff really started to come in, and you know, it was being pushed to the top three, it was being deliberately developed in a lot of these things, how to write EPRs. So he would take me and we were writing twelve six in EPRs. I didn't have a lot of experience in that. Mm-hmm. Um, he would bring me into his office, sit me at his chair at his desk, wheel in another chair to sit beside me. And would make me type at the keyboard and explain to me why you don't say this word or why that bullet doesn't go here. Here's how you word it better. Here's how we got to quantify these things. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what that word really can be interpreted as. So, you know, all of those things for probably the next two years um, and all those things, he would, hey, you need to come here. He's like, and, and I never seen myself ever being here, to be honest with you. When I came in, my goal was to be a master and retire. <laughs> um, and I found myself very young that, you know, <laughs> at 
nine years or whatever as a master and like, oh, I better change some goals. Um, so that's what I did, but it was really being deliberately developed by somebody that got me there because I could have never gotten here by myself, right. without a doubt. I mean, I could have worked hard, but work hard doesn't give you the skill sets you need to truly be successful. It only takes you to a certain point, mm-hmm. and then that's it. You have to have somebody who's kind of mentorship yeah. somebody. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. And then, uh, so yeah, down there at Altus, um, loved it up here the first time. So came on back with the superintendent ninety third. Uh, spent three years there. Got picked up uh, for chief. Um, they gave me a choice of assignment coming out of there, neither to Altus or to Altus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like a good person does, I went back down to Altus for about another 15 months and was fortunate enough to get picked up to be the um, Air Mobility Command Boom Operator Function Manager at Scott. Okay. Um, uh, which was awesome getting to see the staff side of things, which I hadn't had. I'd only been in an operational squadron until mm-hmm. that point. Um, and another thing that was very uh, developmental was I had the opportunity to be the senior enlisted leader to the A3. Mm-hmm. Um, and just understanding what all the divisions done, uh, did, uh, what were they were responsible for, all the key people making things move within the command and building relationships and, and really figuring out, kind of like this job did for me within the MSG and medical yeah. and stuff. See, uh, behind was, the scenes, I guess, right? Yeah, I was able to really open my, I couldn't have told you when I went there, they said I'm a chief at this point, um, what A3, or I know what A3 was and A1 was, but I couldn't have told you a two and five and eight and A9, yeah. like, I don't even know what they are. You know, so it was very developmental for me to go there and then um, interviewed for this job and, and picked it up last summer. Oh, so you haven't been there long then? No, so about 18 <laughs> months and could be moving this summer if I, I get lucky enough to, uh, okay. you know, somebody affords me the opportunity to uh, be a command chief. So you bounce around a lot, but mostly between two Altus, bases. Fair job. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you're in different units and stuff like that. So, it, okay, interesting. All right. Um, so... T- tell us something, or you know, I mean, a lot of us ha- understand what the ops group does, but like I was saying earlier, we don't really know what the ops group does. So, if there's one thing you could talk about the ops group that you think maybe a lot of other folks wouldn't understand or know about about them, what would that be? I think it's really the training aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of people are like, well, "What do you do when you're not flying?" That's, um, that's yeah. That's right. I mean, everybody like, there's only <laughs> yeah. there's ten flights a day on the ramp, or they take off from the ramp. Like, what is everybody doing? Um, and it's really just a lot of, you know, EPR, awards, decorating, same as everybody else, but um, you got your standoff out shops. Training is huge. You know, we have an entire career field called the Squadron Aviation Resource Management. Mm-hmm. Um, each squadron here has five of them. Uh, and that is a career field completely dedicated to management of the 85, 81 assigned personnel in that squadron's training. Everything we do is based around currency and proficiency. What type of training are we talking about? So anywhere from simulators to practice emergency procedures, because you can't practice emergency procedure in the airplane. I mean, right. it's pretty much unsafe, right? You wouldn't want to be pulling <laughs> circuit breakers to yeah, yeah. Just, uh, induce a situation. Um, but that type of stuff, because there could, most of the time we fly around and, and everything works well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there will be a time or could be a time when, you know, you have a depressurization, you start losing fuel because you took a round. Right. Um, any of that stuff, you have uh, somebody, you know, a breakaway, airplane's going to about run into you, you lose a power system, you lose hydraulics, any of those things can happen. And and you have to be prepared for it. The time to do it is not in the moment, right? You kind of got to have um, the, your first reactions have to be already already made. Right. And there. Other training is just survival training. Um, here there's a O-plan training that has to happen. That's quarterly, full eight-hour day doing stuff. Is that just reviewing plan and understanding the missions? And no, it's... 
Yes, somewhat. Here's the plans uh, or the family of plans that's available uh, if we were to go on, uh, you know, high-end uh, peer competition stuff. Um, but it's extremely intense. Initial training is about a week long. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking, you know, seven to five week long stuff. And it, it's really about how the process, how communications work. Because you can't say that stuff open source, right? Right. So you have to find ways to communicate. So decoding stuff, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's lots and lots of training and then tracking of training and, and finding flights and who needs the training. Because if you, if I have, you know, I have to refuel a fighter every 180 days and you do. So I got to make sure that you actually get on one every 180 days. And, you know, and there's different timelines for all of these. Some things are three years, some things are 60 days, some mm-hmm. things are, you know, four months, day versus night. Um, so okay. there's, just, there's just a bunch of yeah, training. Yeah, a lot. Because when you initially said that, I'm thinking CBTs, deployment training, Seaburn, SABC, but all there's the, a whole lot more. All that's included, right? Yeah. Yep. But, all those um, things. There's a whole lot done. more that you just said that I didn't even realize that you all would practice on regularly. Yep. But it makes sense after you say that. And, and one other thing that I think is very in, unique to the the aviators too is that you know when even when you're you're sitting me or Colonel Daniels um, or even you can, we can talk about the wing commander and stuff. Um, a little bit different because they're senior officer called, but even as a chief, I keep the same qualification as an airman. Oh, really? You know, I have to do the same things, maybe not as many of them, mm-hmm. but you know, in most career fields, once you graduate and become the squadron, or whatever, uh, the superintendent, no longer are you named the task. Yeah. You know, you're not fixing the pipe, you're not plowing snow, yeah. you're not, you know, fixing the air conditioner, you're not giving shots, you're not doing that stuff, but. In the aviator world, even as a squatter superintendent, like I still have to do those things and squeeze all this stuff in. Yeah, yeah, because like in the CE world, if you go that squadron command or uh, chief route, your AFSC changes to just a three E triple zero, and that's it. Right. So yours, you maintain your AFSC, then. right? So I'm actually a, a nine Gulf one hundred, so group mm-hmm. superintendent, but um, my position has an Apicode air crew position indicator on mm-hmm. it, which means it's funded and it gets flight pay. Okay. But in order to get flight pay, I have to maintain current qualifications. I get a check ride every 17 months where an evaluator flies with me, make sure I can do it all safe. Uh, just like the senior airman that does it, I have to do it just to that level as the senior airman or a tech sergeant does it. Yeah. And if you're an instructor, which all of us are, um, you're required to teach certain subjects during your evaluation, <laughs> give a debrief, give a pre-brief, all that stuff. And do your job, and and sometimes it can be a little taxing, you know, yeah, because you fly like and nobody's doing your email for you. Nobody's yeah, feeling come you back know. to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I will say, at some sometimes it's also it's a very good break. Mm-hmm. It's a break just to get up in the clouds, do your thing, um, not have all the electrons going about and your phone dinging and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and just be able to enjoy the, the thing you came in and and why you're still here. You're probably the reason why yeah. you love it and, and yeah. you're still around. Is it hard to find? Um, uh, evaluator that will actually evaluate you as a chief. Um, and I ask that because, like, you know, I've seen instances in my career where, you know, chiefs come in to do seaburn training and some of the instructors will kind of just push them through real quick, even if they're doing things the wrong way and whatnot. So do you have to worry about that ever? No. So really is what happens. Um, it's called a pyramid eval mm-hmm. is the way it works. And and you have um, written an AFI, uh, come from initially from the MAGCOM. Uh, the MAGCOM will come down and evaluate our group evaluator. And our group evaluator... And I pretty much have a parallel change. We we have the same boss, so he doesn't work for me or she doesn't uh, work for okay. me. So it erases that stigma of who I better pass the chief. Yeah, yeah. And then um, to be honest with you, as a group superintendent, um, 
I, I choose not to be an evaluator mm -hmm. because I'd rather be an instructor. I, you know, it's kind of like being a commander in DO, right? The commander's the guy who, you know, is, is a little more hurting everybody along, but usually on the nicer side, the DO is one kind of cracking whip, get your stuff done, and you, yeah, you yeah. know, stuff like that. So as a superintendent, I view myself as a guy out there who's, who's trying to affect policy, but keep the morale up and do all those things. And the operations superintendent is really the one that's cracking whip. But as far as check rides, um, and finding somebody to do it is pretty much written in AFI. Uh, do I have say who goes to OGB? Absolutely, but it's really mm -hmm. about um, you got to get the right people in there. Yeah, and yeah. that's obviously concurrent with the group commander uh, who goes and those positions. So yeah, never a problem. Oh, good, interesting. Okay, good. if you go back to day one, Airman Ruckert walks into his first squadron apparently early. <laughs> uh, what what's what's some advice you'd give yourself after all this time? I would tell you the thing, and it's hard for me to even do it now, even though I'm telling it, I'm saying that I would tell myself this. I would say, enjoy the journey. That's what I would say too often, you know, especially being a, a doer. Um, I find myself just finding projects. I've told my wife every, every job I roll into, you know, once you do the swap over, I'm like, man, I'm going to have a lot more time available in this job. <laughs> and after about probably three or four assignments and stuff. She's like, you're just telling yourself that. Yeah. Because I think I could have more time, but I find myself taking on things that I probably don't have to take on, but it's just, it's just who I am. Yeah. You know, if there's something that needs to be fixed, it just, you're not just going to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, but it also led to, um, I go home at normal time, five fifteen or something, you know, and a large portion of the force probably goes home at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, between, uh, four and five fifteen is, is typically when I go home. Um, but it has really led to um, not, I, I view my, a lot of my peers and stuff who had at times to enjoy the journey more. Mm -hmm. And maybe because they've made a deliberate attempt to do it. Um, but I've always just found myself busy. A lot of it is my own fault. But I would definitely enjoy it. I would spend more time, less time at work, less time finding those miscellaneous projects um, just to make things better for somebody. And I would spend more time connecting uh, with my peers, going to the party after work, you know, mm -hmm. when when everybody was partying when I was an NCO, like I'm going to school. Yeah. You know, just stuff like that is what I think I would do because I truly do feel that, you know, all of us are giving truly the best years of our life, right? We're young, we're healthy, we're energetic, all of those things. And then for us to just buckle down and worry about the work when we should be enjoying it because one day we're all going to be old. You and I already don't have hair. Yep. You know? <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out to our <laughs> listeners, Chief. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think it would be just that. I think I would say yeah. just enjoy it. Don't don't get too stressed out about the work. The work will always be there. Um, it'll always get done because that's just what organizations are. Yep. Uh, the Air Force is built or the DOD is built to just get it done. Any one of us can drop out anytime and somebody will pick up the baton and run with it. So, yeah. so um, enjoy the journey and make relationships and have fun while you're doing it. Yeah. You know, and I, I have to really agree with that, especially, so I'm, I'm coming up on 18 years, and I look back at even some of the times that were tough with, with like, a good, it might, might be nostalgia, I don't know, but I look back at it as, man, I, I wish I had stopped to smell the roses a little bit, because right. that was actually awesome, Yeah. now that I'm now that I'm sitting behind a desk most of the day or whatever, you know, so, yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying, that's, that's good advice to uh, enjoy yourself a little bit more, so... So what, what motivates or, or drives you? I mean, that's probably changed over the years, too. Um, so you can 
if you want to talk about overall or now, uh, I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, really, it was just, I, I would say, just to make sure that I have, you know, uh, a loving family, somebody who's going to be there when <laughs> this is all going to end for all of us, right? Yep. I mean, as enlisted, yep. 30 years is the top is all you're getting unless you're one of the luckies who gets a, uh, you know, extension because you're a Magicom command chief or something. But mm-hmm. um, really just making sure that you're doing as much as you can, not only at work, but at home, um, to make sure that those people are around when this thing is over. Mm-hmm. Um and then obviously nobody wants a bad reputation. Um, not that it's about reputation, but you know, inside everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to feel like they're value added. Everybody wants to feel like they're appreciated. And mm-hmm. and I feel I do that through through my production. Yeah. Right. You, you probably know I've briefed at a bunch of your stuff, but mm-hmm. um, I, I'm somewhat introverted. I can do okay, I guess. <laughs> Is what I say. I mean, everybody's got room for improvement, but I do enjoy. You know the right star and F hack and all mm-hmm. those things, um, but being a, a somewhat uh, introverted sometimes does make that a little bit more difficult. Yeah, uh, yeah. You have to. It, it tires. I'm like I'm kind of like you. I'm a little more introverted. And I'm I'm tired at the end of the day. I right. can put on the show, but then when I'm done, I'm, I'm wiped out. Yeah, wiped right. out. But yeah, really, just that's what I would say is just really, you know, making sure the family's there and then making sure that I leave it. Whatever I do in life. Air Force or afterward or at home, it's better than when I found it. Yeah. That's my motivation is just not be the guy who, when you pick up the program, you're like, oof, this has been dusty for a while. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I hand over the best possible product I can. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that one. Even maybe something that's you're started and they have to pick it up and run with it. You know, right. I understand what you're saying. So, okay. So motivation has been family and then just making things better pretty much. Right. So with that being said, um, well, I guess we'll start off with how, how do you how do you define success? And I mean, there's no right answer. I've heard I've heard a bunch of them, and I think they're all correct. It just depends on the person. So, what's your definition of it? I truly feel so. I think back to um, when you were a kid. When you're a kid, most people, uh, most children, at Christmas time, what do they want? They want to receive gifts, right? Mm-hmm. And I think everybody's like that. But as I've gotten older, um, and, and there's truth to this, you know, if you take your kids or whatever down to the food kitchen. Your ability to give or to provide opportunities mm-hmm. um, makes much more impact on me nowadays than it ever has in my life. You know, I think, you know, this past uh, holiday season, you know, like, yeah, I got gifts, you know, from the family stuff and absolutely do appreciate those things. Um, but seeing the look on my kid's face is what really makes the holiday for me. Seeing the look on my wife's face yeah. is what makes the holiday. And I'll say the same thing, seeing what I can do for airmen and seeing the successes that I can do or the roadblocks that I can remove or educate them on why it's there and it's really not a roadblock, it's the process for a good reason, Mm -hmm. um, I think is what really motivates me. I think I'm pretty approachable. Um, You know, like you said earlier that uh, there's quite a few people that do hunt me down once in a while for Mm -hmm. how to to become a career-enlisted aviator. I've Um, had three people this week tell me they've been in contact with you when you're helping them, (laughs) not just with uh, being a boom operator, though, with any other career-enlisted aviator positions. So I thought that was pretty pretty awesome that you're not just kind of shuffing them off and saying, oh, that's not really my area. You're taking taking it on, like you said earlier, and and helping them out. And that's the thing, you know, not that I have time for it, not my job anymore. That was more up at the MatchCom, but I feel like, you know, as, as NCOs or senior NCOs and leaders, uh, all airmen are our airmen. Mm-hmm. So if you got a question, let me work it for you. I don't have time for it, but I'll make time for it because that, right. that's what I'm being paid to do is to make time uh, for airmen to get them what they need, what they want, um, 
and make sure they're happy and can be productive wherever they're be successful. Mm-hmm. So with, with that being said, we talked a little bit about your discipline that you had growing up on a farm. And then when you came into the Air Force, just kind of uh, wanting to be doing something productive. So that's obviously attributed to your success. Is there anything else you can, you can say is attributed to it as well as much? It comes in, I mean, just internal motivation, um, really, which is kind of the same thing. But, you know, always wanting something better for myself, you know. Um, didn't grow up in a wealthy family or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always wanted, you know, just like everybody wants their kids to have it better than they have it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, a motivator on the family side. I just want to give my kids an opportunity I may not have had. Right. I didn't have a bad life by no means. I actually had a great childhood. I did lots of hunting and, and you know, family vacations to Lakes, Minnesota. Like, I did all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also worked really hard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, nothing in particular more. Okay. So this next one, I kind of heard um, an airman. I, might, I don't know if they asked you. No, I think it was. I don't remember who it was. It was during a chief's panel. An airman asked one of the chiefs. Tell, us, tell me about a time in your career that was really struggle for you, but when you were done with it, you realized it was actually really good for you. And I thought that was a really good question, so I threw it in these yeah. lineup here. So um, I would love to hear about something like that in your career. A couple of them, really. Altus was a tough assignment just because I had lots of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I went down there, needed a CCF, didn't have it. Um, I'm sitting as tech sergeant, don't have a CCF. Um, you got to get it within 12 months. Um, I have one child. I got a second one in a way. You know, I pick a mass sergeant right away. Uh, my chief, like I said, who was fantastic, throws me into top three and all these other things. And I'm going to school to get my CCF done in a lot of time frame. And then I start a bachelor's right on the backside of that. So that time frame was very compressed. Ended up being very rewarding in the end. Mm-hmm. But one of the one of the other very big things um, that had a huge impact on me was back in 2015. Um, it had been probably seven years since I deployed. But I went out to LED. And at the time we had... Uh, about 70 tankers on a wrap was typical, which is huge. That's more than Fairchild's got right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but And during swap outs, at one point, I had 102 crews and 72 tankers on the ramp. Just people galore. It was enormous. Um, but as I'm going through this process, that's when we needed help in, and the ice is kind of sparking up mm-hmm. up there. And uh, so I'm out there, probably about 20 days into it, they say, we're going to split the squadron, and we got to send, we got to stand up a squadron in, in Inchelik. So now I have to figure out who goes, what skill sets do I need, uh, how many people go, how many airplanes go, what equipment, you know, maintainers, all of that stuff. How do I package this up and go? And luckily, I, I had another master that I was with and a couple other staff wounds that were kind of working with me. But one um, master who's now retired that I knew from down in the schoolhouse, uh, he showed up out there. So him and I working together. But no lie, I mean, 24-hour days, him and I were pulling with no sleep, wow. uh, going to the dining facility at midnight, eating like almost can't stay awake because the days are so long trying to get this thing going because um, they needed the gas up there. Yeah. Um, and flying from where we're at to get there was very long, didn't have a lot of off capability. But being able to work through that split a squadron, who goes, who's got the capability, we ended up picking a, uh, the chief boom, uh, squadron superintendent per se, is a very key position, right? It's a senior enlisted leader out there, kind of run all the enlisted AFSCs, obviously in mission, mm-hmm. and so the two works all the bed down, kind of like a first sergeant does because normally Air refueling squadrons don't have a diamond wearer, um, so the squadron superintendent becomes that person. So you got swap outs, beds, discipline. Um, but 
went with a CRG guy, right? Because he would have how to bet down in a place, all mm-hmm. the entities. And then they weren't going to an austere location, but still having somebody with that knowledge right. of how do I stand something up if I need to. So I kind of had to go to my roster of booms, like, you're it. Uh, and went up there, did fantastic. But I said, for probably three weeks, extremely taxing. I don't mm-hmm. think for three weeks, I probably um, did less than an 18-hour day. Oh, wow. And there was, not joking, a couple 24-hour days in there. And then you would go home because you're so tired, I literally couldn't sleep. Yeah. Um, had to go to the flight dock and be like, can you give me something? Like, I <laughs> couldn't physically sleep. Um, so, uh, did that stuff, but that was probably the most rewarding on the backside because now I got to travel there in this capacity mm-hmm. as our unit goes there and um, see a unit that I got to start by splitting one and a half, yeah. sending it up there to people, and just know that something that I helped create is still going on. That's awesome. When it was happening, you were, it sounds like you were halfway. <laughs> but when, you, when, it was, when it was done, you just saw what, what happened and what that brought to the fight in the national defense, and that's, all, that's awesome. Right. That's cool. We're going to kind of switch gears here, because um, like any good career advisor podcast, well, I'd like to talk about professional development. <laughs> um, so I know we've talked about this before, and I've heard you brief the FTEC students. Um, you know, what, what, what resources do you use for your own professional development? Of course, we have the standard, you know, ALS, NCO Academy, Senior NCO Academy, but has there been anything outside of that that you personally uh, seeked out? This probably sounds horrible, <laughs> but not really. I'll be completely honest with you. I think that um, we have a lot of very, very intelligent people in our business. Mm-hmm. And I know that I am not the expert in most of those areas. So I would think... You know, I, I'm not the guy who's on looking at the LeMay Foundation, you know, to figure out stuff for National Defense University, trying to take classes that may or may not stick. Um, I learn a lot. I'm a, I'm a tactile learner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to do things or at least, you know, maybe some visual learning in there too. Watch people, listen to their thought process, stuff like that. So probably my own personal or professional development has really just watching people act. Mm-hmm. You know, when questions come out and I hear somebody respond, even though it wasn't formulated toward me, I'm, I'm probably asking myself, I wasn't thinking that. Why were they thinking that? Right. And why, what piece of information am I missing that didn't bring me to the same conclusion? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I was missing information. Sometimes what they were thinking, they didn't have all the information either, so I may have had the better course of action. Um, but really, just it's taking input from other human beings that... You can read all the books in the world, and you'll still never know all the things that people on this base know. Right. You just won't. Yeah. You know, and watching it in action, being a visual and tactile learner, um, is probably the most beneficial thing I've done as a professional um, development uh, entity is, is trying to find, you know, watch people work, figure it out, see how they work, what they think. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the same outcome as reading a concept in a book and trying it out you're just doing it you're just taking a different route that's all right yeah um so i know before we started the the, the podcast as well we were, we were discussing you you had an odd book because you had seen these questions already <laughs> so you said you had a you did have a book you recommended everyone read and you said it was a little off off the cuff and i'd love to hear about what that is well <laughs> this actually came up i think you were at the uh, when you held the flight commander course. Mm-hmm. One of the lieutenants who was on Zoom asked a question. He, he listens to this podcast. Okay, so perfect. Really That's right. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I told him, I said, I'm not the guy who goes and reads a bunch of leadership books. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, can you learn things from leadership books? Absolutely. 
Um, but there's a lot of um, effort that goes into making that's deliberately you have to take those steps. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's a lot of value in the edit in those things. And I've learned lots through PMEs. But I think there's also um, a lot of value in just being yourself, right? You know, even as, as you go forward, that's one of the things that everybody, just be yourself. Because if you got to fake it every day, that's miserable life. Mm -hmm. You know, just be yourself. Chances are your skill set and you just being you is a perfect fit for some job somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not a huge leadership guy. I don't go out and read that stuff. I do like the old World War II, um, you know, uh, books like that and stuff. But really, this sounds weird coming from a flyer, is, is I love finance stuff. <laughs> um, so, so probably my son is actually reading it. I think he's just kind of wrapping it up. He's going to be 14 at the end of the month here. But um, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. Really about what it is. It's about a young kid. I think he grew up in Hawaii. Um, parents were divorced, so he had two dads. One dad had like college education, but pretty much had no money because mm -hmm. he couldn't manage it. And the other one kind of worked side jobs, but had a boatload of money. Mm -hmm. um, and it really, it's, a, it's the concept about how do you... It's not about what you make, it's about what you keep and what you buy. You know, buy things that appreciate, buy things that make money, don't mm -hmm. buy things that depreciate. Now, obviously, you gotta eat and do all those things. Right. Right? Everybody's gotta get to work somehow in a car. Um, but by and large, buy those things um, that are going to appreciate in life. Because at some point, we're all, and hopefully it's, it's late in life when you're retired, when you can't work anymore, but. You never know when your day comes and you get hurt, you get in a car accident, you get hit by a drunk driver or any of those things, God forbid, um, and now you can't. It would sure be nice to to fall back on a nice little nest egg you had um, mm -hmm. or an SF or give something to your kids, you know, that yeah. if that were to happen. So that is a book that really stuck with me. My son, you know, was giving me a little Reader's Digest version of what he read every day there for a little bit. Like, talks about assets and liabilities. So, um I love that stuff. The stock market intrigues me, you know. Yeah. My money making more making money for me is better than me making money for me, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's kind of where, where I lie and, and so I would say read that book because I think it is a game changer. In fact if if I had um if I had my way I, I would probably have every one of my airmen read the book. Um just to completely understand it. Yeah. Um, of how it works because information is power really mm -hmm. um, if you don't know how it works and how not easy but um, how to do it because a lot of people just didn't grow up knowing it I didn't grow up knowing any of those things until yeah. I heard enough about the book and, and then um, finally like I'm going to choke down the seven bucks or whatever it was and buy it <laughs> off Amazon or whatever. I was like oh my god this is so right I mean we, we do blow a lot of money mm -hmm. in places that we don't need and, and Probably some of it is we didn't have it when we were growing up, but yeah. now I want it now, and I got my first job, so I can finally afford it. Yeah, um, I mean that that's an important aspect of you know being an adult, but being in the military. I mean, I've seen people lose security clearances mm -hmm. and get kicked out over finances right. and not having any money. So um, I wouldn't say that that's not a not a pertinent book at all. I think no, it's... and and I completely understand money doesn't make you happy. Right. You know relationships and and hobbies and all of those things make you happy but but finances help you with some of those things yeah. too right it can it can um, cause a problem or a big problem if you're yes. not getting smart and, yeah. and in fact i mean i'd have to look at the data again but you know um talking to mental health and stuff like that a large portion of some of the challenges we have um with alcohol abuse and suicide ideation and stuff had to mm -hmm. do with uh, marriages relationships and financial problems mm -hmm. absolutely right? they, they yeah. manifest themselves in there yeah. um so 
I think it's important that airmen and all individuals just give it a quick read. Yeah. Read through it. It kind of repeats itself a little. So even if you read half of it, you probably get the complete gist of, of what's going on. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of value added in it. Yeah, absolutely. Literally and figuratively. I agree with that. I've had troops with gambling problems and had to file for bankruptcy and they were going through rough times and if they had just been a little bit smarter on that stuff, that would, right. hopefully wouldn't happen. So that's a good one. All right, Chief. Well, um, I know you said you had a 14.30, so we'll go ahead and, and uh, go down to three takeaways. What are three things you'd like to leave the, the, the listeners with? My first one would be, if you want something, just work hard for it. You know, set a goal. It, it's very hard. Unless you put concerted effort towards something, your chances of actually achieving it diminish every day. Mm-hmm. Each one of us only doesn't, you know, has a set amount of time uh, to accomplish any of our goals before um, before your time's up uh, permanently or your opportunity to get get what you wanted is over. So I would say, um, you know, if you want what, whatever you want, develop a plan and work really hard toward it would be my first one. Second one, I would say don't pass up an opportunity. You know, it, it's hard to say, you know, I look at Altus uh, the first time I went down there really didn't want to go um but like i said probably my number one or two most developmental i needed that mm-hmm. i knew i needed that but i didn't want to admit that i needed that right um so don't pass up an opportunity you never know what doors are going to open on the other side of that opportunity that you won't have an opportunity to go through if you don't open the first door yeah so that would be my second one and then this kind of goes back uh kind of rehack on the other one is enjoy the journey I truly feel, you know, although not everybody's excited about, you know, the PT test and it stresses some people out and stuff like that, but truly these are absolutely the best years of our lives, mm-hmm. right? We're not all, uh, nobody's got all their pill boxes set out, like grandma, you know, yeah, you, not yet, right? <laughs> you know, the Sunday or whatever going through, like we are pretty healthy. Um, we still got our minds, we still got our health, uh, you know, ability to make friends, we're young, things to see, probably, you know, some money to do it with um, and as you get older you get all the ailments and all those things so I would definitely say enjoy the journey and and appreciate what you actually do for our country mm-hmm. you know as I as I get closer you know to retirement um, I'll I often think I'm like will there be another job that will be as impactful and meaningful as this mm-hmm. and that part has me a little bit nervous right because not that I won't enjoy another job and feel like um, it's important and I enjoy it um, but I think the scope of what is at risk working for the Department of Defense in the United States Air Force will never compare to any other jobs I'll ever have an opportunity to do. Um, so enjoy the journey and truly, truly love the opportunity you've been given. Not a, you know, there's a very small percentage of the American population that's, that meets all the criteria to yeah. even be in the military. We're yeah. fortunate to be born here or be a citizen yeah. and then to be able to serve. I mean, we are extremely fortunate. And sometimes I think, uh, some of us look past that, but definitely enjoy the journey is what I would say. Yeah. That last one resonates. Um, so like I said, I, I got about two years left and up until that, like, you know, I wouldn't say now, but a little before now, I'm like, I want to retire at 20, retire at 20. But, but that's starting to sink into my head is uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to go. I don't know if I'm ready to hang it up and, and stop moving and stop being a part of, of right. this, you know? So I, I completely agree with that last one for sure. And there's something to be said, you know, moving and stuff can be stressful, but you know, it doesn't matter how many times you move, whether you like the location, you don't like the location. When you get there, you instantly have friends. Mm-hmm. 
you instantly have something in common with somebody. Yep. Although, I mean, there is that, like, you don't really have, like, the close friends that you can tell your darkest secrets to or whatever, but there's always somebody that you can count on. Even if you're on leave, you know, 20 years from now, we'll be retired traveling space, say, and we're going to hit the ground at Hickam, and there are some constants in our life. Yep. Right? No matter where you're at, somebody is there to help, uh, no matter yeah. what. It's kind of like, um, I, don't, I don't know, whenever my wife and I go on vacation, I just like to visit other bases. So no matter where we are, if there's one that's close, we'll go to it. And as soon as you drive through that gate, I instantly feel like, ah, I know where I'm at. I know what this is like. I know what that looks like. I know what that sign is. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just a familiarity there that's just comforting, I guess. So, <laughs> so. all right, Chief. Well, I appreciate you sitting down with us. Um, I know you're busy. And I know you're doing turnover right now as well. Um so uh, again, yeah, really appreciate. I appreciate what you do as well. You're you're one of the definitely the more involved uh, chiefs across the wing that are always coming over to help me out. Um, even before you were filling in for the command chief, you were always over doing panels and teaching classes and stuff like that. And I appreciate it. And then I also appreciate that airmen come up to me and tell me that they're working with you directly to help them, you know, meet their retraining goals or whatever goals it is that they're talking about. I think that's awesome. So uh, thank you for doing that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I really, really appreciate you sitting down and, and talking to me and putting yourself out here on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. No, I want to thank you for putting this stuff together. This is a, it's very innovative. I know we've been doing it for a little while, but, you know, you taking the time to come over here and, uh, and sit down with us and ask us questions because this is important for, for airmen and stuff, too, to, to hear our story and let them know, like we talked before, um, that, that becoming a chief, there, there's a million different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to watch – you know, any one of us and figure out there's there's not only one path, there's a whole bunch of them. And, and that's why I say, like earlier, just be yourself. You know, just be a good human being, work hard, and you'll probably end up here too. <laughs> well, appreciate that, Chief. Uh, give a shout out to Sergeant Has too. He was, he was definitely the, the brainchild behind this. <laughs> awesome. He figured out all the tech stuff for it. So, um, all right, well, appreciate it, Chief, and uh, good luck on the Command Chief list. Hopefully we see you uh, heading, to, heading to a base to be the Command Chief here pretty soon. Awesome. Well, thanks. Wow. All right, everybody. Uh, hope you enjoyed that, and until uh, next time. Well, that's it for this episode of Refuel Team Fairchild. If you have show ideas, people you'd like to hear from, or if you'd like to be on the podcast, email us at fafbcaa at gmail.com.